0: Listening to Joe Barnes Online. We're talking about building businesses, creating an income for life, and having the freedom to work from anywhere in the world with passion and energy. For want of a better phrase, grabbing life by the proverbial balls. My name is Joe Barnes. Let's make it happen! Hello there, this is Joe, and you're listening to another episode of Joe Barnes Online and Uh, Today's episode comes from the heart, it really does. In fact, I would go as far as to say that this was really the whole reason why this podcast came about. Um, And basically, I have become increasingly interested over the last six months or so in something called microloan foundations and microloan organisations. And these are organisations who basically um, look for funding, uh, small amounts, you know, sort of 25 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. And they go out and they give these small amounts, they lend these small amounts to people who need them, primarily people from uh, some of the poorest areas in the world, uh, developing countries, people who really need the money the most in order to um, build their own businesses. That's, I think, what really got me into it, is the fact that they're essentially lending small amounts of money to people who are starting their own businesses, building their own businesses and changing, transforming their lives, their families' lives, their communities' lives. I'm not going to talk about it too much in this intro because the guy I'm introducing today, we talk about it in today's podcast, and I'm also following up this week with a longer podcast all about what micro-loan foundations are all about. And how we can all do our little bit to help. Um, But today I'm talking to a fantastic guy called Brian Keane. Now Brian is actually a businessman, an entrepreneur first and foremost. He's had over 40 years experience in business um, and... He's been running his business Franchise Simply uh, in Australia. Um, and he is an expert in franchising. So, when he saw a company started in the UK um, called the Microloan Foundation, he essentially wanted to franchise that and uh, start his own in Australia. So, he runs um, not a company, a charity called the Microloan Foundation Australia.org.au. Uh, And if you go to their website, you'll see that they help people, particularly in Malawi um, and Zimbabwe um, and Zambia. And they do this whole micro loan thing. So basically, you as a lender might go and lend, I don't know, 100 bucks. And then they will go and um, loan 25, 50, 100, 150, 200 to these people to go and start and set up their own businesses and transform their lives. Uh, it's it's just a phenomenal um, concept, a phenomenal model uh, to help people who otherwise may not have the means to be able to create a better life for themselves and their families. So. Have a listen in today as Brian and I pull apart the whole micro loan business model. Also, talking a bit about um, some fantastic business advice from Brian himself. I hope you enjoy it, and I do hope that it will inspire you to perhaps become a micro lender yourself. Hey there, Brian. How are you doing? Welcome to the podcast
1: oh thank you I'm going really well and delighted to be here Joe really appreciate the opportunity
0: I have been so excited to talk to you Brian I have been um, genning up on microloans and how they work I actually bought a book off Amazon um, called microloan and uh, it's it's kind of set in India it talks about the Grameen Foundation and everything that's happening in India um, and it's terribly edited but incredibly informative so um, if I if I try off with this, a little knowledge is a is a <laughs> is a terrible thing. Just reel me back in during the interview, okay? <laughs> no
1: problem whatsoever.
0: So first of all, um, I think let's start with you telling us a little bit about. The microloan foundation i know you are microloan.com.au and you're part of or affiliated with and you, you can explain all of that with microloan.com because i think it was originally founded and started in the uk but if you could maybe just explain a little bit about what microloan foundation is um how it came about kind of what what it does
1: okay well in essence microloan foundation follows the principle of muhammad Yunus. Um, who came up with the concept in the 1970s of microfinance, which essentially is providing uh, funds and training to women in rural areas, um, generally women who have perhaps have no opportunity for income, very very uh, uh, living in living in poverty, unable to really feed the children, can't afford to send them to school, that sort of thing. So really, fairly. Fairly dramatic circumstances, and what they do is they select a group of of ladies from a particular village, um, with the approval of the headman or the chief or whatever the local bureaucracy um, happens to be, and they take those and those those ladies that join the group are all um, uh, jointly and severally responsible for the loans. So what happens is they provide a sum of money um and it is the women then decide who's going to get it so it goes in rotation so if there's maybe say five or six ladies in the group two might get it first and when they've repaid after four months it'll go to another two um and if they have any issues or challenges all the ladies sort of muck in and help each other to overcome those problems whatever they might might be um and and the whole point with the microloan model is that it's self-supporting so There's an interest rate charged. The principle is as well that the ladies are encouraged to save a percentage of their loan as well. So they're building up working capital. Um, And when they repay it, um, they're then eligible, um, if they've ticked the boxes and their business is successful, to borrow subsequent loans as well. So it's not unusual to have women who've been in the program for some years who may have had, you know, six, eight, ten loans varying size incrementally they may be larger Um, and this allows them to start a whole variety of businesses um, anything you can think of under the Sun from growing growing corn to growing tomatoes to repairing shoes or fishnets or even even a classic one was providing a taxi service but which was her son riding the bicycle with people sitting on the pannier
0: Awesome, isn't it the creativity involved is fantastic so the women in these groups um you say they so maybe two get the loan first do the other women in the group then work with those two women to build their business up or do-
1: no they, they they work in their own on their own in their own business okay. um so from that point of view they're, they're they're independent i suppose one of the big things about it is that it gives them a sense of achievement which they previously not had a chance to do um, and it allows them to, 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 to get self respect themselves, mm-hmm. um, which is a critically important thing. A lot of these communities, women aren't really respected that well in the community. Um, and often in a village, they may not even really even know the other women that are, end up being in their loan group. Um, that's how re- remotely they often live.
0: Um, now, wh- why women?
1: Ah, good question. Uh, well, give a give a guy give a guy forty or fifty dollars, and what happens? He's down the pub, or he or he's p- p- he's putting it towards buying a television or a radio or whatever it might be. Women just naturally uh, look after their family. It's just it's just part of the female makeup. So they will naturally endeavour to, to to fix the leak on the roof, to buy books so the kids can go to school, pay for medical bills. Um, women, you know, really from that point of view, um, and this was something that was determined very early on with the uh, microloan model. Um, so they're absolutely a strict and rigid rule that is never, never, never wavered from.
0: Yeah. And what I find interesting, because I live in Thailand, I live in Phuket. And when mm. in, in the in the Western world, when we talk about entrepreneurship, we think, you know, um, Richard Branson or Elon Musk, or, you know, we, we think big corporate companies and, you know, overheads and staff and offices and all the rest of it. But living in Phuket, I see lots and lots of people who entrepreneurship to the, I mean, they don't even know the word entrepreneur to start with, but they're almost natural entrepreneurs because from an early stage, they start trading. Yeah. And they and they might be selling corn on the beach or they might be making and selling hats or whatever. And it's their own stuff that they're selling. Um, so, you know, these women that, that you go and you get together, are they, are they natural entrepreneurs if you like are they natural um, you know do they want to run their own business is that what is that what they're looking to do
1: well the concept may be one that's occurred to them before or or maybe it hasn't but uh, by introducing to this process because they wouldn't have a they wouldn't know how to do it and they can't borrow funds I mean if they want to borrow money in these communities, you only get it from loan sharks and they would be paying two or three hundred percent interest. It's just not feasible. Banks, of course, aren't interested in any event uh, in those circumstances. So it's actually getting the training, um, which is quite extensive. They, they get trained in marketing, get trained in, in, in sales aspects, they get trained in bookkeeping, business management um, and so forth. So, and these training sessions, they have repeat mentoring sessions every two weeks. so it's it's an ongoing program that in the western world very few businesses start off with that amount of uh, initiative and support and training yeah Uh, so little little wonder we've got such an extraordinary success rate
0: so you've got people on the ground who are going into these villages and are training these ladies
1: yeah and they're 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 local um, indigenous people that have been trained in the organization Um, so um until very recently, there have not been any expats working in the organisation at all, um, and not 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 in in Africa. It's all of our um, offices that are run are in sub-Saharan Africa, in Malawi, Zambia, and just recently opened up in Zimbabwe as well.
0: Right, gosh, that's incredible. And and if if these women are in such remote remote locations, who do they sell to? I mean, if they're you know. I don't know, got a little taxi business or they, they're making headscarves or something. Is it literally that they're just going out into their local community?
1: Yeah, they'll set up a little stall in the local market or down the street. And uh, hey, presto, um, there, there are cases where what would have been a deserted little street in a town is now hustle and bustle with little restaurants and coffee shop tea shops and you know little people selling vegetables and doing all sorts of things um so uh, so it really it starts a whole um i suppose capitalist if you like mm. principle of, of business being established and people becoming you know self dependent yeah. um and self self esteem i think is probably the biggest thing that these ladies get um and it it, and it's amazing a lot of them actually end up employing their husbands Funny enough uh
0: do you know i've read some of the stories on the site so i want to talk a bit about you but before we get to you just give us a couple of really good success stories
1: okay well there's one there's one lady particularly um which you may have seen um and she uh, was given her first loan Her, her husband was a fisherman um she was given her first loan and she started a little um, a, a little tea business, sort of selling tea and cakes and gradually grew that to the point where she took several more loans, um, employed a couple of people, and then she built a guest house um, on land adjacent to her so that she could put up people overnight um, and so forth. She built a, sub- a subsequent second one as well, and she also then bought a fishing boat because her husband... <laughs> actually worked on somebody else's fishing boat. And uh, I think the business closed, it was something like that. So she now owns the fishing boat. Her husband's employed by her. And she's got something like 25 staff, Um, quite quite amazing. I mean, an example of amazing entrepreneurial skill. When you think the facilities that are available to them are very, very limited to the extreme.
0: That's it. I mean, that's just what a story. Because she not only has she been able to help her family, she's helping other people in her village, right, by employing them. So she's 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 giving gainful employment. Um, so inspiring, Brian. I mean, really, I can't. It's just I was I was reading an amazing story the other day about a lady who was in the Congo, and um, she was. Um, kidnapped and all sorts of terrible things happened to her and she managed to escape into a refugee camp in Uganda and um, she was uh, she started her own charcoal briquette selling business Um, and she was only Mm. making about four dollars a day but with a couple of dollars from that four dollars she put it into a small fund and she got together with some other women and they all put it into a small fund and now they fund women in the refugee camp starting their own little businesses so these women are they're so resourceful and um they're so creative and what i what i love most about it is the fact that they work together they're very women are naturally nurturing and relationship builders anyway so the fact that these women get together in order to fund and support other women is i would imagine you know the real crux of why a scheme like this works would you would you say
1: Oh, well, it is. Yeah. You know, we all naturally gravitate to groups and most of us indeed find, you know, I think we benefit from groups. You learn, you join things together. It takes away some of the fear and the threat and so forth. So it gives them the confidence to do it. Um, and, uh, And they get encouragement from each other. Um, and and how that... much
0: how much is a loan, Brian? I mean, you, you, you're talking about loans here and in the Western world we'll be mm. thinking, well, what do we need to start a business? But how much do these women typically borrow to start off?
1: All right, well, it depends on the country because the, the, this principle only works in, in countries where, you know, the economy is very depressed, where currency values are very low, where expenses are very low in comparison. So, for example, in Malawi... Um, their loans have um, been increasing slightly but these days you'd say that their average loan would probably probably be 75 Australian dollars equivalent
0: that's just crazy $75
1: mm,
0: um, to change completely change their life
1: yeah now they, they can start off to get themselves prepared to start a business with a preliminary loan which is about $30 <laughs> uh, so that gives you a bit of an idea then subsequently they can get access to loans up to two to three hundred dollars, but that's really the, I suppose you'd say that the heart, the very high achievers. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but they have to they have to maintain their repayment rates, which incidentally, running at well over ninety nine percent. Wow. Um, so uh, people people who don't have resources, who can't access them, really really appreciate anything they get, and it's amazing. We just don't. There just isn't any history of bad debts and occasionally if someone defaults for some reason, it may be, you know, maybe health, it may be a family issue. The others will chip in and help her and then she'll get sorted sort of thing. So um, uh, that's, yeah, that's the principle that, uh, that works so successfully. In Zimbabwe where we've just recently opened um, and it's taken many years to get in there, their loans are about $175 Australian. Because the economy, um, it, it's 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 a more more expensive place to live, mm. so the, the funding needs to be a bit higher. But it's still fairly nominal, you think, 175 dollars.
0: Oh, it really is. Uh, you know, mm. any, anybody listening to this who who maybe has previously thought, oh gosh, you know, I don't have the time or the money to get involved in charitable causes. Well, you know. 75 bucks 100 bucks, could completely change somebody's life and future and send their children to school and employ their family and their friends. And, you know, it's crazy. Anyway, um, how did you get into this, Brian? Let's talk about you. Tell us a little bit about you oh. and your background.
1: Okay. All right. I, I spent 10 years living in Africa, in Malawi. Um, and uh, it was called Nyasaland before it became independent in the late 50s. And uh, in fact, I met my wife there she was born, she was second generation. Um, originally her grandparents went across there from the UK. Uh, we married a couple of young children left there and came to live in Af- in Australia. Um, that was in seventy five and several years ago I was looking towards my career sort of quietening a bit and I thought well I'd like to do something to sort of you know help help people uh, in um, in Malawi and I looked around to see what was available by way of um, charitable organisations and so forth. And I knew I wanted to help women. I'd seen the the concept of you know, lending women to women to, to to help them, um, I suppose, get themselves off the floor, if you like, to get started in life and so on. Um, and um, But I found in Australia there wasn't any organisation I could find at that stage. We're going back to about 2007, 2008, something like that. Um, so I actually saw an organisation from the UK called microloanfoundation.org.uk that were operating in Malawi. So I actually contacted them, had a chat to them, and um, I'm in the franchise industry, I've been for 35 years, and I said to them, would you perhaps be interested in me helping you raise funds in Australia? Anyway, I had to go to the UK by coincidence, so when I met the founder, Splendid guy called Peter Ryan who would established microloan foundation originally in the early 2000s and I said to him uh, um, Over a pub lunch (laughs) In Brentford in England uh, I said um, Would you would you get a franchise microloan foundation and uh, he said yeah, I'd love to so what they do is they provide us all the intellectual property um, uh, They Manage all of the loan um, the process is on the ground, so all we do here is raise funds, send it across, and in Malawi there's a village, um, a loan office that was opened specifically for Microloan Foundation Australia. So our funds have all gone to there, really clearly identifiable, um, and that, that's how it works. Really quite uh, quite straightforward. And uh, hmm.
0: is that an aeroplane flying overhead right now?
1: It it is, yeah. I'm on the approach to the airport. Unfortunately, yeah. Hopefully, added character to the call.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So, what's your? So, you're in the franchise business, you say. So, your business is franchise. Mm. By the way, I've been saying microloan.com. Of course, it's microloan.org, isn't it? Microloanfoundation.org dot uh, au not dot com um that's right mm. yeah and your franchise simply business then so just tell us a little bit because the, you know the, the, what's what's great about talking to you brian is this podcast is um, about build a business change the world so the podcast is um not only about the wonderful things people are doing but also the entrepreneurial spirit and it's and it's for entrepreneurs who want to build a business with a higher purpose um so uh, Obviously, you know, your your business is separate from what you're doing with microloan, but it's afforded you the ability to be able to then go and do good. So um, tell us a little bit about your franchise business.
1: Okay. Well, um, when I was in Malawi, I, I started four businesses. My first one was a building business when I was about 23. And I, I got a lot of satisfaction from just helping people, seeing guys improve, uh, giving them promotion seeing them build themselves a house and those sorts of things and send the kids to school. And and um, and later, when I came to Australia, um, after moving out of the building industry in the early 80s, uh, getting involved in franchising, um, I'd done a bit of broking. We used to help people buy and sell businesses and franchises and help people start franchises. Started half a dozen groups myself with a couple of partners. And uh, it's just really satisfying just seeing people get or giving people a helping hand if you like along the way uh by whatever method to get themselves up and running or grow their business increase their increase their wealth and you know get get enjoyment out of life and um uh, i suppose that's the, that's the principle that i've used in franchising which i i love i've probably owned 25 businesses of different sorts over the years um so uh, so then i suppose taking that to the next step it's virtually it's almost logical really that franchise simply. When I look to um, uh, to Microloan Foundation, which I established uh, in 2008, um, to to look at it and say, okay, how can we help? Uh-huh. And so what what we do is franchise simply actually sponsors all the costs of Microloan Foundation Australia, bar the sort of annual filing fees or something like that. So apart from a few hundred dollars, we pay all the costs. We do the websites, we've got staff, we employ that spend time working for Microloan Foundation, uh, you know, sending out emails and processing things, doing bookkeeping, that sort of stuff. So uh, we're, we're really happy to do that so that every time that we help somebody start a franchise, we're actually helping someone in Africa start a business. So that we say to our clients, you know, when you're working with us, when you're starting your business, by working with us, you're also helping someone else who's living in poverty to lift themselves and their family from business by starting a, a business in Africa.
0: Hmm. Wow. So your business allows you to donate almost 100% via, like you said, just the filing fees of the accounts, etc., to the women themselves.
1: That's, uh, that's right, yeah. It's between you know, six, 96 to 98% of uh, of the money we receive each year ends up being distributed in loans so it doesn't get swallowed in administration or other costs and so forth yeah.
0: that's that's uh fantastic Brian that really is just wonderful um so when did you say you started franchise simply what year did you say you started that
1: oh well Fra- franchise simply I-, I won't go into the long history but I retired got bored very quickly um uh, and my wife, Prue, retired at the same time. Uh, she'd had her own career. And uh, we said, what should we do? Uh, whiteboarded it. Prue said, what about franchising? And I said, oh, I've been in it for 30 years. It doesn't really hold any great excitement for me. She said, no, let's, let's digitize it. Let's put it online, put it on the internet so that people can access it. And put a program together so they can actually start their own franchise business themselves if they're business owners. So create their own franchise entity, if you like. And and we did that. And that we started that in 2011.
0: Okay, and that's going well.
1: Yeah, it's it's really been taken well, and it, it's quite a unique business because we are a we are classic disruptors, really, because we we just do things totally differently to the um, to conventional consulting.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, we're going to come back. We're going to come back to the entrepreneurial side of this in a sec. I've got a few questions from everything you were just saying there. Um, but what would you say are some of the biggest challenges that you've come across with the Micro Loan Foundation to date since setting it up in two thousand and eight? What are some of the stumbling blocks that have um, mm. caused you a few headaches along the way?
1: Well, the first and uh, biggest one, without any doubt, was getting the company incorporated. Um, you know, you can go and buy a. a, a couple of hundred dollars shelf company if you want to start a proprietary limited company at the drop of a hat and people do every day but to form a charity which is a a form of unlisted public company um you have to jump through so many hoops it actually takes an enormous amount of time um so that i discovered that um quoted by a lawyer or solicitor in sydney who helps charities get set up um on a Basically, on a, a cost only basis, it would have cost them about sixty or $70,000 to set it up. Fortunately, um, I worked with a lawyer with some issues I'd, I'd had, and I approached him and uh, Christmas Cardle, his name, McCardle Legal in Sydney. And unashamedly, I say that he actually volunteered and he and his team did the whole process for us pro bono, which was fantastic. Uh, it, but it was, it was quite complicated, and then it's also very difficult. Um, to get the necessary approvals you need um, to get government the complete government all the ticks if you like okay you've got a company which is the charity then you need to get the taxation approvals um, so that you can a have exemption from gst and so forth and then you need to get approval from the department of foreign affairs and trade DFAT as it's called uh it used to be called ausaid and that is so you're entitled to government support, recognition, et cetera, et cetera. And that that took us well, probably four four years. Wow! Uh, to get that approval, and they are incredibly um, detailed. Not that I'm criticising that, but the problem was they used um, uh, outside staff who were forever, forever changing, so you'd never have the same uh, the, the same The same person looking after your application, plus the rules forever keep changing in that environment. So, and so during that time as well, we had several changes of government and changes of ministers. So every time a minister changes, uh, the the, the pending tray gets emptied and you get put back to the beginning, and then the rules change and so on. So don't make it sound too hard, but it was. It was very frustrating. So so could you do uh, anything went,
0: during that four years or not? You couldn't do anything until it, you had the approval?
1: Well, you, you, you could, but number one, we couldn't offer tax deductions to people,
0: right, okay. which
1: is important because, you know, a lot of people, will uh, their, their generosity is encouraged by the fact that they're allowed to use the donations that they've made to offset against their marginal tax rate. Yeah, yeah. So effectively, that's um, obviously quite significant. Um, and, uh, and I suppose, as well, for our, our credibility, just getting all those ticks was important. Um, so that uh, that was frustrating. Um, but, uh, but basically, we've been ticking along much the same most of the time, you know, slow growth. Um, yep. But uh, we're not a high profile charity. We never intended to be. Uh, we made a decision at the beginning we were a charity that was there to help women. And so, there's a leaning towards women showing more interest in what we do, um, but we said as well we weren't going to rattle tins in shopping centres or send out mass mail outs through these various organisations. We were going to be a fairly clean and simple, um, honest, humble charity. Um, and, uh, and, and that's the principle we've stuck to, which has limited our growth, but um, you know we're comfortable with what we've done. We obviously like to see the growth. Uh, Expanding, um, but uh, it's a very, very competitive market. If people in business think they're in a competitive market, try be, being in the fundraising area because it's uh, it, it's it's very, very very uh, saturated.
0: and mm. And how do you generally raise funds?
1: Well it's been, we, we, we've run two or three concerts. Our patron in Australia is a genius of an international pianist called Simon Tedeschi. And uh, I, I met, I was fortunate to bump into him some years ago when we were launching Microloan Foundation, and he, he accepted my offer for him to be our patron. Okay. So he's our Australian patron, and uh, he's a wonderful pianist. He was playing in the Sydney uh, Concert Hall when he was eight years of age, uh, pa- pa- playing for Pavarotti. So uh, this guy is a is lovely guy. He supports us, and we ran concerts in Sydney where he would play uh, perhaps with someone else accompanying a couple of times that sort of thing um, But the reality is they cost as much to put on as you raise um, it's, yeah. it's expensive to run you have got to rent premises and so on etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So so really it's just been incremental You know people will Google find us get a subscription most of the funds we have a large amount are people who put in who pay us a contribution of maybe ten or twenty dollars a month maybe a hundred dollars a month sometimes directly Debited from their salary. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and and there are other people at the end of the financial year will make a donation uh, when they're looking at their their their, uh, their sort of accounts and so forth. Um, and then occasionally we're contacted by an organisation that say we'd like to run an event um, and sponsor you. So we had a guy, a, a chap, um, and and his brother who climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in Kenya a few years ago. And they raised about fifteen thousand dollars for us. Wow! Um, they just wanted to do something for someone in Africa, and they googled. They found us. They they, they felt we fitted um, their requirements. So that sort of thing pops up every now and again. Hmm.
0: Brian, sorry if you've already covered this, but what took you to Malawi in the first place at such a young age?
1: Oh, okay. Oh, well, I was a bit of, a bit of a travel bug, I suppose. I was I was a quantity surveyor. I got qualified. I when I lived in Italy for 6 months because I met some people over there on holiday and thought, thought it might be a good idea Then I, with a friend I emigrated to Cape Town, South Africa and Intending for us to do a bit of work there and then go to Canada and I was offered a, a job in, in Zambia uh, So I went to Zambia then based in Malawi as a quantity surveyor Then after a year decided I'd go and work in a building industry and start my own building company So hmm, oh. that's, that's essentially it came down to so, yeah, just just the travel bug, I suppose.
0: Yeah, yeah, I have it too. I have it too. Um, <laughs> so just going to, talking about micro loans in general, because I'm really just sort of starting my journey in finding out about micro loans. And like any other industry, there are sharks and scammers everywhere. And um, sure. I was reading some articles recently um, that quite a lot of governments, even the UK government. Um, sort of turn their nose up a bit at microloan foundations because they say that they you know they don't really do much good and they don't really help and you know interest rates are too high and all this kind of stuff. Um, tell us tell us your general sort of view of the microloan industry if you like.
1: Okay. Well I, I think the the, the the higher profile and indeed the lower profile microloan organizations are very credible and do a brilliant job. Um, What what has happened is, um, you know, it's the tall poppy syndrome, I suppose, but also people get onto an idea. Um, Now, Mohamed Yunus, as I say, started the concept in in Bangladesh back in, I think, 1976. Um, In India, what happened was people started copying what he was doing, but doing it commercially. Mm -hmm. Um, And then what they would do would be to gouge people's interest rates and force them to take more loans to pay the interest. So you've got these literally loan shark organisations pop up, um, and and they really um, uh, they, they really I suppose had a huge impact on the the credibility of microfinance. So it's important to understand that if you're dealing with an organisation, uh, you need to do some research to make sure they are a credible um, charity whichever country they operate in, Um, but uh, no, so overall I must say I've not found any difficulty um, and there are sceptics, but I think once people see what's involved, what you can achieve and uh, particularly if they can, you know, watch a few videos of some of these wonderful women being interviewed and so on, then they realise that uh, it's actually a wonderful concept that that is a little bit of a hidden gem. I mean, it's becoming more well known, but People don't really understand just the magic of it. We we sent we sent over to Malawi or to Africa probably well three hundred let's say roughly three hundred and fifty thousand dollars right over eight years since we opened our office over there. Yep. Um, that has allowed us to give over one and a half million dollars of the loans because the whole simple principle of it that's just the magic of it really is the loan is given. Interest is paid the loan is repaid the interest pays the cost of providing the training So the money is intact when it gets back into the loan fund is then lent to somebody else again. So that same Unit of seventy five dollars, whatever the loan may be is then recurrently Loaned to more and more people and that cycle is one that um, I mean It's hard to manage because you've got to get the balance of of everything right costs and so forth um, but uh, that, that's been done. And I must say that Michael Owen Foundation in the UK and Peter, Peter Ryan, the founder, particularly—they won a, a really tremendous organisation, very lean, um, but they manage everything very closely. And uh, we only know one case where there was any fraud, and that was where one of their one of their in, indigenous staff in Malawi um, actually stole some money. Um, and he was dismissed, but the the funds were refunded out out of his termination payment and uh, that 's essentially and Now, with these modern the modern banking models in Zimbabwe, for example, everyone has a mobile phone, and they have access to this uh, online bank so that no money ever changes hands at all. It all happens electronically so um well, that, mm. that,
0: that, that segues nicely into my next question, actually, which was about the future of this industry. Um, you know, thinking about, obviously, mobile and connectivity. And I know in some of these remote locations, they still don't have the kind of connectivity needed um, to be able to... to own mobile phones, et cetera, but um, especially with like the blockchain technology coming on and decentralization and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and the fact that the world is now such a, a small place with the internet, you know, <laughs> it's, mm, really, it's really mm. kind of made the world a lot smaller. Um, do you see this becoming something that could become more streamlined in the future because of, of, of technology?
1: Oh, well, certainly this instance I mentioned there with the mobile banking um, that, that's certainly one that's uh, significant. Um, we've never gone into the deeper analysis, which some organizations do, of actually tracking each individual lender, if you like, so that people who, who donate funds can actually track how they're going, what they're doing and so forth, because that's a very expensive and complicated process. And uh, um, to do that, we chew up a large percentage of, the, of our revenue. So we've considered that, that that's, we can't justify that. That may change. Um, but I think the, the fact we're able to monitor groups um, and the fact that they've now got online banking and so forth has just simplified it. The next step beyond there, I don't know. I mean, um, you can't you predict with software and mm. various things, the sorts of changes that are happening and the accessibility through apps and so on. So I, I, I don't I don't really know, to be honest with you. I, I, I think where it's at at the moment is probably an optimum, certainly for now. And I, I, I think it could continue to work with this model as it is long into the future. Um, probably, what there is room for more innovation is in the raising of of, um, uh, of donations. Okay. Um, I, I think that's perhaps where there's there's, there's more opportunity to get that, uh, that that out in the marketplace. But um, yeah.
0: And how do governments react to organisations like Micro Loan Foundation? Um, you know because obviously you know the countries that you're going into here they're they're not as stable <laughs> um, mind you not that you not that you'd call a lot of the Western countries too stable these days anymore um, but you know how how do the governments react to to this outside external help coming in?
1: well I have to put a caveat on what I say here because it is sensitive as you rightly say and and one has to be quite careful so um, that they're viewed I think, to a degree, with caution, um, but uh, when the uh, when the when the when the success of them is evident, I think that uh, governments then acknowledge that they have a place um, in what they're doing. Um, but of course, w- what they do show is that there's a fundamental gap in the services that are provided by the local authorities or whoever. Um so that can be seen as a little bit of a criticism of perhaps of what, what they have done because of their own lack of resources. Um so look we keep very, very clear of, of, of all political issues, um, religious issues and so on and so forth. We, we 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 we're very conscious of the fact you have to be very um I suppose very very straightforward. You don't you don't want to ruffle any feathers, offend anybody. No um so it's, it's, it's something that needs to be done very discreetly. So I get that. Well,
0: yeah. Probably, um,
1: probably the less said, the better. Yeah.
0: Okay. Fair enough. Um, you said it took a long, long time to get into Zimbabwe, though. Why was that?
1: Oh, well, you know, I mean, Zimbabwe. Uh, here we are in, you know, in the early stages of two thousand and eighteen, and they've just changed governments. Um, President Mugabe was there for decades, and uh, uh, the the country was, um, you know, barred from the Commonwealth. It was was not receiving aid from overseas. um, And uh, they really were, the the overall bureaucracy, the management and so forth, was very difficult to deal with. So whilst at times we had tentative approval to go in there, then then we'd find suddenly that had been revoked. So it just took a long, long time, um, because we needed to build up a network of local people, having learned over the years, with previous examples, and I'm talking here, quoting Paul Ryan, the founder who, who did all this himself. I mean, he spent time out in Zimbabwe and South Africa and so on and so on, that they needed to get people involved on the board in in Zimbabwe who were local, respected uh, Zimbabwean nationals. Yep. Um, so that, that, that took time because uh, um, uh, in the circumstances they had where, it was literally a police state. Um, individuals had to be very careful because the, the, the life was somewhat um, had somewhat amount of jeopardy to it. You know, you you were vulnerable to uh, political nuances. Um, anyway, that's now overcome, and uh, they're they're up and running. And uh, we, we do have an expat there that's been funded by a UK company. Um, setting it up in Zimbabwe from the ground up and the principle we follow is um, the one that I preach in franchising it's grow quickly slowly you know they're really setting the foundations in place they've got about 350 women that have got loans there so far and they're just they're just fundamentally check pressure checking the system before they start expanding into more areas but the demand is enormous they've been out around different country areas and uh um, I suppose to jump into your other comment about the future, the demand for this product, if you like, is absolutely enormous. I mean, we've been able to help. Um, I suppose over, over the course of um, you know the last couple of decades, if we talk about the whole microloan picture, um, probably been able to help close to a million people one way or another. Um, but when you consider there's one and a half billion people. I think in Africa, living below the poverty line, you realise we'll never be able to meet the needs.
0: Still a long way to go. Still a long way to go. <laughs>
1: yeah, but but, but the, the great the great thing is that these people, as you said, become entrepreneurs in their own right. Yeah. And then they they there again create other self-help systems and uh, and not-for-profits, if you like, to help other members in the community. So it creates a whole community of 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 a spirit of of support and giving and nurturing and so forth so it's a wonderful basis for for, 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 I suppose for countries to grow and to give people the opportunity to to improve their lives Hmm.
0: it's a self-fulfilling prophecy isn't it because you know Hmm. you say oh we've been able to help a million people but you know there's like one and a half billion or so to go but the fact is is that million that you've helped are now part of the the army I suppose to go and help the other one and a half billion, because as they grow um, and they build their businesses and they, you know, create more profits and then they go and help other people and, you know, grow, grow the, the whole loan situation, you know, you're going to help more and more people. So it's, uh, it's an ever widening ripple. All right, so what I'd like to do, Brian, is just head back to the entrepreneurial side for, for a sec um, because mm. obviously you're a, a very seasoned entrepreneur yourself um, and a lot of the people listening to this podcast are people who are either starting businesses or who have already um, started a business and are, are trying to grow their business now. Um, with a view, I hope to, to eventually, you know, have a bit of a higher purpose with the business. What I like to say is um, not just for profit. As opposed to not for profit, not just for profit <laughs> um, so what kind of um, entrepreneurial tips i mean if you could if you could go back in time um, when you were starting your businesses, what would you say were some of the top t- top two or three messages that you would now say looking back when you were starting your businesses and becoming an entrepreneur? what were some of them top key messages you'd probably go back and say to yourself now
1: well. Wow. Um, I, I suppose you just have to step out with confidence. If you want to tick all the boxes, you'll never get there. Uh, and I always use that simple analogy. You know, it's a bit like getting in the swimming pool the first time in the summer. You know, you put your toe in and you say it's too cold, but once you get in, it's fine. I think you've got to make that plunge. Um, I think the things you do need to do. I mean, one does need to make sure you've got a plan B. Um, but if you, the, the trouble is, if you're too cautious as an entrepreneur, the odds are you won't succeed. That's just the br- that's just the, the brutal reality of it. Um, but uh, what you do need is, is mentors or coaches. Um, you need someone. I was very fortunate when I started business that I had a, a, a fabulous uh, elderly gentleman who was a great accountant who did all my bookkeeping for me. and I think without him I would probably have I probably the business would have failed. Yeah. Um, so having someone looking after you, you, I mean, cash flow is king. Um, and uh, the second most important thing after cash flow and this relationship is marketing. If you're, if you're not out there promoting yourself, you're never going to be successful. The biggest problem, I think, with lots of people and lots of businesses, and it happens to us all, um, is that you get busy. And because you're busy, you don't keep your marketing up. And what happens is suddenly you hit a you hit a trough where the work slowed down and your cash flows slowed down and you can't meet your commitments and uh, that's something that's uh, important. I, I'm I am a fan of partnerships. Um, they can be good and bad. Circumstances can change, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But making the right provisions and having agreements to, to to allow exit strategies and so forth for the partners. It's just great to have someone else there to encourage, to come up with ideas. Um, so, for example, we did a, we did, we ran some close scrutiny of our our business and our, uh, our the people we've helped convert their businesses from into franchises, and we found that those of those people, sixty eight percent actually had a partner in the business. They may have also been their life partner, but it just illustrated that tr- people trying to do everything on their own. Um, inevitably will get buried and they'll certainly, it's very unlikely, they'll ever get to the stage of leveraging to the point where they can actually put some time on the business. They're too busy just addressing day-to-day issues.
0: Mm. I've, I've always been very nervous I mean I, I, I'm somebody who likes to work with other people um, and yet I find myself having always ended up running my businesses on my own and I don't know why but I get very nervous what are some of the key things we should think about when looking at going into a partnership
1: into a partnership mm. well you, you've got to make sure you, you're, you're totally compatible um, I mean you don't have to be you need to trust each other One of the worst things, if you're two likes, you you do need people that are different. Um, If you're not familiar with um, some of the psychometric testing, like a disc profile, um, the fact is we're all all made up of a, a mixture of different elements in our characters and our personalities, which when you think about it, it's pretty obvious, but you don't necessarily realize the attributes that different people have. So you need to make sure that you're complementary to each other. Um, if you're both highly driven entrepreneurs you're probably going to knock heads Mm. Um, you need to make sure you address different aspects of the business so that uh, you have a fully rounded um, combination I think that's important. It's a bit like a marriage really isn't it? (laughs) Well it is you know and acknowledge that it's not always plain sailing every relationship of every kind goes through its ups and downs when you first meet um, I mean, just think of it from, from a, a sort of, you know, romantic personal sort of situation. You meet, you say, This person's fantastic. You start dating. Aren't they wonderful? Uh, whatever the environment depends on the society you're in, you perhaps get married or you move in together. And then you start complaining because they don't put the towels away and they leave the washing on the floor and squeeze the toothpaste tube in the middle. And unless, so suddenly you become a bit disillusioned about it. And you say, well, you know, not quite all I thought. Um, you're not totally happy. So you, you've got to find a way of addressing that and coming together. So you realise that the differences are there. No one's perfect. But if you work together as a we rather than a me and them, then you can be successful. So I think that we, if you like, that, that, that in, in any relationship, personal or business um, or indeed a team, you see exactly the same in teams. Why are some sports teams more successful than others? Because they've got a brilliant coach who actually manages to blend all these personalities, diverse as they are, into a successful um, uh, unit. Mm. Mm. That's like, my thinking on it, anyway. <laughs> I, like, I like what you
0: said about step out with confidence. Um, a lot you know, I get a lot of people who talk to me about moving out of their comfort zone and facing fear and what do you got to say about that? Where you know, especially in today's day and age where you're so um sort of publicly vulnerable, if you like, on social media, et cetera. You know, you're you're constantly mm. called upon to be a public figure or make videos or create content or whatever and there's so much fear involved with that kind of stuff. What 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 do you got to say about about fear and moving
1: out of your comfort zone? You know, I think you need help in doing it. And I think, you know, there there are lots of people out there who can help you. There are programs and courses. And I think you need to throw yourself into those. You need to be, I'm not one for necessarily academic learning, but you need to be learning in the business environment. And so you need to be mixing with like-minded people. Um, You know, if you're in an industry, mix with the, the people in that industry, in the industry organization, in their peak body um whether it's the housing industry association if you're in building or in my case in franchising there's a franchise council and um, that they that, that those exist in uh, in in all countries and there you get people coming together to reinforce that what you're doing is worthwhile to help you with solutions with challenges you've got um so you're not out there on your own if, if you're totally on your own i think you've got very little chance of succeeding uh and, and you, I think you need to better enjoy your successes, you know, and and uh, that means sharing what you do occasionally.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm with you 100%. Um, any parting thoughts, Brian, before we leave? Actually, before we go to that, let's just head back. Now, the microloan.org.au, how do people actually how does the whole donating work you you do we actually just donate like a single amount and then you guys disperse it to the ladies in question how does it actually work from a donating point of view
1: okay right well we've got a got a shopping trolley on our website micronfoundation.org.au um and there there are various ways you can you can donate by on a one off payment by credit card or paypal or eft and you can also go through to do regular subscription payments, um, which you can set up automatically on something like PayPal um, or otherwise through your bank uh, with EFT. So we have people who do them either way um, or you can make periodic payments. What happens then is we collect together as the as funds accumulate in the bank, we will then periodically send a transfer over, which is all managed through MLF um, in the UK they manage to disperse some of the funds into the loan funds in, um, in in Africa and then they are dispersed from there to the women um, uh, a, a, as a whole. Um, so so essentially we, we know the funds that we've sent until recently um, where we've started supporting Zimbabwe as well have all gone to one particular village, to one group of women um, and uh, helped them get their businesses up and running. So. That's essentially how it works. If that answers your question satisfactorily.
0: Yeah, that's excellent. That's wonderful. So, so everybody knows what to do now. So, just some parting thoughts, Brian. It's been it's been wonderful to speak to you. Um, I am so inspired. I mean, I, I, I read a book called Half the Sky um, by a guy called Nicholas Christoph and Cheryl Wooden who really brought to light some of the challenges that women are having in Africa and India and Southeast Asia, how they're still so incredibly oppressed in these countries, mm. Um, mm. how, uh, you know, violence against women and things like that are still written into these countries' constitutions. Um, and... I think microloanfoundation.org.au and other similar organisations who are out there empowering these women to be able to not only change their life but change the life of their family, of their children, of their entire village and community is just so inspiring and I can't wait to be a part of that via getting out there and and, and encouraging my audience to know that with such a small amount, with just $20, $30, $50, $70, $100, just a Friday night out at the cinema or a Saturday Mm. lunch with the family, just that amount of money could have such a significant – make such a significant and ongoing difference – to these women. That's the beauty. You're not just investing that hundred dollars and that's it. That hundred dollars is gonna get reused again and again and again and again. Um so with just one hundred dollars, you could be helping hundreds and hundreds of women change their lives. And uh I for one am just hooked by it. I think it's incredible. So I think what you've done is phenomenal and I commend you and you have my Absolute admiration. Um, so, thank you very much for your time today. Just any parting thoughts you might have from, from today's chat, Brian? I,
1: I, I think it, it would be really having, having, having thoughts about other people, you know, the community of sharing. It doesn't have to be a lot of financially, but even just in things that you do by volunteering locally. I think it, it's a very satisfying um, thing to do. And I think that uh, by doing it, it brings us all closer together. And I think it it brings the world closer together because everyone, if everyone's happier, then I think everyone will be more peaceful. And I think that uh, uh, we can look forward to a a more and more peaceful future for the world.
0: Hear, hear. Thanks, Brian.
1: Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much again. I'm really, really flattered and and honoured to have been invited to chat to you, Joe. Uh, and uh, look forward to uh, hearing, speaking to you again sometime in the future.
0: Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. To join in the conversation, please head over to joebarnsonline.com where you can find links to podcasts, show notes, and sign up to download my free ebook, How to Build a Business You Can Run from Anywhere in the World. If you have a moment, please subscribe and quickly rate this podcast. I'm not sure where you're listening to this, but if you happen to be on iTunes, it literally takes a tenth of a second to hit the little stars and your rating will ensure it gets out to more people and impacts as many as possible. Lastly, I'm super passionate about creating a movement of philanthropic investors. So please head over to jobarnsonline.com forward slash microangel to find out more about how you can become a microangel and with just $25 impact thousands of women and children who desperately need our help. Thank you so much. I do hope you've enjoyed today's episode. See you on the next podcast and in the meantime, get out there and make life happen.